should have been up here for the auction tonight. Uh, for oh, the deep, deep, uh, whatever that song's called. Oh, it sounded great. Tickle the trumpet. It's really good tonight on that song. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. Is that what it's called? I can't remember. Anyway, but uh, it was really good. So praise the Lord. Okay, let's take our Bibles this evening and turn to Jude, the book of Jude. <coughs> book of Jude, and let's just begin from reading from verse 1, just to <coughs> refresh our memories here. So, book of Jude, verse 1 says, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ, and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God, the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. Mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Love when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation. It was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and the Lord Jesus Christ. I will therefore put you in remembrance, though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness, under the judgment of the great day. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah, and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise also these filthy dreamers, the fire of the flesh, despise dominion and speak evil of dignities. Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses. Durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. But these speak evil of those things which they know not. But what they know naturally, as brute beasts in those things they corrupt themselves. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward, and perished in the gainsaying of Kor. These are spots in your feast of charity. When they feast with feeding themselves without fear, clouds they are without water, carried about of the winds, trees whose fruit withereth without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame, wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever and let's just open this evening with a word of prayer dear lord and heavenly father <coughs> we do thank you lord for this evening we thank you lord for the opportunity to come together as believers lord we thank you for your word and lord i pray that this evening as we continue our study in the book of jude that lord you would speak to each of our hearts that lord you instruct us through your word lord, i pray that you would empower me through your holy spirit now that you give me wisdom and guidance as i preach that lord it be your words it will be your thoughts that, Lord, you would um, just use me as your servant this evening, Lord, and you would speak to our hearts through your word. May you bless as we uh, look at this passage now this evening, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, of course, we've been studying the book of Jude, so we've been going through uh, the book of Jude, seeking to understand this often neglected book, this book that we sort of shy away from because it is a more difficult book to understand. And we've seen that Jude is writing this book primarily about apostates that's basically his whole theme the whole way through he's warning us about the apostates who have entered into the church and indeed are entering into in our day and age right now as we get closer to the return of the lord and jude uses various different pictures 
and illustrations to identify these men for us. He gives us a lot of information, a lot of things to, to use um, to identify these men, to picture these men, understand who these men are. You know, we, saw, we saw in verse 4 that Jude characterized these men as ungodly men who turned the grace of God into an excuse for sin. In verses 5 to 7, he used the example of Israel, of fallen angels, and of Sodom and Gomorrah to show how God deals with the sin of unbelief and apostasy in the past and to show how God will deal with it in the future as well. In verses 8 to 10, we saw that he characterized these men as being men who defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities, have no respect for authority. And then last time in verse 11, we saw that these men follow the example of evil men from the past, the example of Cain, Balaam, and of Kor. And now this evening we come to verses 12 to 13. And surprise, surprise, Jude's still not finished. He still has more that he wants us to know about these men, these apostates. And we find here that Jude now um, depicts their character by a series of brief, pointed metaphors drawn from nature. So what he does is he uses five metaphors here to point out a different aspect of these apostates, these false teachers. And so this evening I want us to examine these five metaphors and I want us to look at them in contrast with how we as believers are to be. The first one that we see here is that he says that these men are like hidden rocks, like hidden rocks. Now look with me, first of all, if you would, in verse 12. It says, These are spots in your feast of charity when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. And Jude describes these men here in verse 12. He says that these are spots in your feast of charity. Now, if we go over to 2 Peter chapter 2, in verse 13, we have a very similar verse. Um, this is the parallel passage, if you like, in 2 Peter. So just turn over there, 2 Peter chapter 2. Verse 13, it says, And shall receive the reward of unrighteousness, as they that count it pleasure to riot in the daytime. Spots they are, and blemishes, sporting themselves with their own deceivings, while they feast with you. And so in Second Peter, we have Peter describing these men as spots and blemishes on their feasts. Now the word spots here, translated in Second Peter chapter 2, verse 13, this word spots here is the Greek word spilos, and it means spots. Okay, the word used in Jude verse twelve, that's translated spots in our version. The word for used there in Jude verse twelve is spilas. There's one word letter difference. In Second Peter chapter two, it's spilos. Here in Jude, it's spilas. And there is a difference. The word that's used by Jude is a stronger, more forceful word. And what it speaks of is a hidden or submerged rock or reef. That's what the word in the Greek means. And so it seems like, you know, Jude's doing a play on words, if you like, because Second Peter was already written. Jude knew about Second Peter, and so it seems like it's almost a play on words. Jude knew what Peter had said about them, and he says they're more than just a spot or a blemish. He says they're a rock. They're a hidden reef. And so Jude is saying that these men are no longer just spots, not just a blemish. These men are a real threat or danger that's what he's saying here 
Okay, they're a hidden reef or rock. I thought that was interesting because I never knew that that's what that word there meant. But that's what it's talking about here, that they are hidden reefs or rocks. They are a real threat or danger. You see, like a reef or a submerged rock, it, they are threatening the, to shipwreck any ship, any ship that comes along. Okay, any, any ship that's coming through the harbour or whatever, they've got to navigate through the reef. If they hit the reef, they are sunken. Okay, that's the point here. That's the image here that he is giving us by this word. And so what he is saying is that these men are submerged or hidden rocks in their feasts of charity. That's what he says here. Okay, these are spots or hidden rocks in your feasts of charity. Now, at first, this seems to be a bit of a strange expression, doesn't it? To say that someone is a rock in your feast of charity. Someone is a, a reef to your feast of charity. You know, the idea is plain. You see, what he is saying is that these men were a threat to the believers' feasts of charity. That's what he's saying. These men are a threat to your feasts that you're holding. They were a threat. They were threatening to shipwreck these feasts. And indeed, it seems like these men succeeded. You see, if we look back through history, these feasts of charity or love feasts have ceased. These feasts no longer exist within the church. These things that were a custom in the early church ceased and have been gone for centuries. And so it seems as if these rocks, these hidden rocks, succeeded in destroying these love feasts. You see, these feasts of charity here were not just ordinary social meals or banquets. Okay, it's not just a fellowship lunch like we have here at church occasionally. That's not what he's talking about here. Rather, these were a communal meal that was eaten by the early Christians in connection with their church service. And so what they would do is they'd get together and they would have this meal where all is in common. They would all bring and provide for each other. And so you'd have people bring it as they were able and they would share with those who weren't able, those who couldn't bring anything to the meal table. And so essentially what was happened, what would happen, sorry, what was intended to happen was that the wealthier Christians were providing a meal for the poor, for the ones who had nothing. And so you'd have slaves who were Christians attending these love feasts, these feasts of charity, having a meal for the week, a decent meal, because these fellow Christians we're providing for them. And you know, it's more than that as well in the sense that they're all sitting at the same table. The feast is, is, is attended by slaves and the rich, the poor and the wealthy, and they're all sitting together. They're all attending this feast together. And then at the end of these meals, they would conclude it with the Lord's table. That's how they would finish these meals. They would have the Lord's table at the end. And these feasts were intended to foster mutual love amongst the believers, to you know, foster sharing, encourage the unity amongst the body of Christ, particularly in the early church with you know, such diversity with the rich and the poor. It was this whole idea of taking care of one another and providing for each other. It was all about unity within the body of Christ. But you know, the situation at Corinth makes it clear to us some were abusing these feasts. Just turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. First Corinthians 11 verse 21 says for in eating everyone taketh before other 
his own supper, and one is hungry, and another is drunken. Now here in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul describes the situation at the church in Corinth. Okay, he's describing here people who were abusing a lo- one of these love feasts. Okay, the rest of the chapter obviously talks about the Lord's table as well. But the whole reason why there was people rushing beforehand and eating it all is because it was a feast. It was more than just, you know, we have the bread and the cup. It wasn't that they were rushing and scoffing down all the bread and drinking all the, the um, you know, the grape juice. That's not the point. Okay, there was this love feast taking place beforehand and they were rushing and partaking and scoffing before everyone else. They were destroying the point of these love feasts here at Corinth. You see, instead of being a place of mutual love and respect, these people were turning it into a selfish thing, caring only for themselves, not for others who were attending. And you see, Jude tells us here in verse 12 that that's exactly how these apostates were acting. Go back to Jude in verse 12. It says, These are spots in your feasts of charity when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. He says they fed themselves without fear. In other words, these men came to the feast and they gratified themselves. That was all they intended to do. And so it's even to the point where they would bring food for themselves and not share. You know, they would bring lots for themselves and watch as no one, this person had nothing and they'd eat it all for themselves. They were feeding themselves without fear. They didn't care about anybody else. They didn't have any concern for anybody else. It was all about their own appetite and themselves. No concern for their fellow believers. And Jude here is condemning their brazen self-indulgence. That's what he's condemning here. He's condemning their selfishness. And he says that it reveals their true character. You see, Jude sees their selfishness as a manifestation of their apostasy, as a manifestation of the fact that they are not true believers of Christ. You see, this is the opposite of how we as believers are to act, is it not? You know, these men were selfish, self-indulgent, only concerned with themselves, but we as believers are to be selfless. We are to be selfless. We are to put the needs of others before our own. Be concerned about one another. Turn over to Philippians 2. Philippians chapter 2. Let's just read from verse 1. Verse 1, it says, If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any vows of mercy and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. And it continues on talking about the mind of Christ. But in verse 4 there it says, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. We are to be concerned about the needs of others. And that was the whole point of these love feasts. These feasts that they celebrated was all about providing for one another, caring for one another. But these men were abusing it. These men were destroying it. They were a submerged rock, destroying it. You know, we as believers are not to be like that. We are to not be selfish but selfless. You know, selfishness really is a rock of offense to others, is it not? Selfishness destroys the unity of the body of Christ. That's what it does. And that's what these men were. 
They were a rock of offense causing problems within the body of Christ because of their selfishness. Secondly, we see that he describes them as clouds without water. Clouds without water. Go back to verse 12 again. It says, These are spots in your feast of charity. When they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear, clouds they are without water, carried about of winds. So Jude now secondly describes these men as clouds without water. He likens these men to clouds that give promise of rain but bring nothing but disappointment. It's the whole idea, you know, that you see this, this cloud coming in the sky and it's dark and it comes across and it blocks out the sun and you think rain's coming and it passes over. It doesn't bring any life-giving rain with it. The idea that Jude here is seeking to convey is that these men look like they have something to offer. These men look to be spiritual. We've seen that before in the book of Jude earlier on, haven't we? This whole idea that they look spiritual, they look like they have something to offer, but really all they bring is disappointment. Disappointment and despair. You know, Solomon spoke of men like this in Proverbs 25. Turn over there. Proverbs 25. In verse 14, verse 14, it says, Whoso boasteth himself of a false gift is like clouds and wind without rain. Solomon speaks about someone who boasts of having a false gift. He says that like clouds, they're empty. They can't deliver what they promise. You know, the same is true of these apostates. The apostates promise something they can't deliver they boast about something they don't possess you see they claim to know the lord they claim to offer spiritual truth to be able to guide and lead others to the truth but in reality they don't know the truth themselves these men have never drunk from the living water that is the lord jesus christ so how can they provide rain refreshing water of the word to others when they themselves don't know the source of water. See, these men have nothing to offer unto others but to lead them into bondage and despair. Second Peter tells us that, Second Peter chapter 2, verse 19. It says, While they promised them liberty, they themselves are, serv- are the servants of corruption, for of whom a man is overcome, of the same is he brought into bondage. That's all these men bring with them. The promise of liberty, but they bring with them bondage and despair. You see, only those who know the truth can bring the truth unto others. Only those who know the Lord Jesus Christ, know the living water, can bring that water unto others. In Deuteronomy 32 verse 2, God's word there is compared to the rain and the dew. Likewise in Isaiah 55 verse 10 and 11, it compares God's word to the refreshing rain upon the earth. You see, these false teachers claim to bring refreshing rain, but they cannot because they don't know the source of the rain themselves. They don't know the truth. They haven't believed the truth. Indeed, these men were like clouds without water, blown about by the wind. Blown about by the wind. They're here, there, and everywhere, and they don't know the truth themselves. They look attractive. They seem spiritual, but they offer nothing but spiritual disappointment. You know, this ought not to be true of us as believers. We should not be clouds without water because we have something to deliver. 
We have something to give unto the lost, to give unto the world. You see, we, through our witness, are to water the world with the word, are we not? That's what we're doing. By our lives, by the way we act, we are to be a witness unto the world. And in a sense, we're watering the world with the word of God, with the refreshing rain. See, rather than being clouds without water, we are to be sources of living water. John chapter 7. John chapter 7, verse 37. It says, In the last day, the, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Indeed, you and I are to be sources of living water. We have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. If we're saved, we know him. We know the source of living water. And now we are to give that unto others. We are to be that, that source unto others. Tell others about the Lord Jesus Christ. Bring the refreshing rain of God's word unto this lost and dying world. See, rather than being clouds without water, you and I are to be clouds full of water. We have something to deliver unto the lost. Thirdly here, Jude describes these men as dead autumn trees. Look again in verse 12. It says, These are spots in your feast of charity when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. Clouds they are without water, carried about of winds. Trees whose fruit withereth without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots. As we continue on now in verse 12, we see that Jude describes these men as trees whose withereth without fruit. Now the, the words there, whose fruit withereth, those words in the Greek literally mean late autumn. That's what it means. Late autumn. And so the whole phrase, when you put that back in, the whole phrase is late autumn trees without fruit. That's what it's saying here. It's saying late autumn trees without fruit. You see, what the picture here is, is of an orchard in late autumn. And by late autumn in Israel, the, the, the fruit should be on the tree. The harvest should be ready. The farmer comes and he should be ready to pick his fruit from his trees by late autumn. But when he comes to these trees, he finds them to be barren with no fruits. That's the picture here. Okay, These trees could have fruit, but they have nothing on them. It's late autumn. Getting nigh on winter and there is no fruit on the trees. Too late. That's the point here. And not only that, but Jude goes on and he says that they are twice dead, plucked up by the roots. The idea here is that, that these trees are lifeless. And therefore the farmer uproots them. He, he destroys them. Okay, he pulls them right out. He doesn't just cut them down because they'll reshoot. He pulls them up. He uproots them because they're lifeless. They're useless to him. They have been proven to be barren or dead. The phrase here, twice dead, suggests that they have not produced fruit for two successive seasons. Okay, so the first season, they were, they were barren and he, he left them a second season. And then they were proven to be dead because there's nothing the second season as well. That's the point here. Twice dead. They are proven to be dead. There's no doubt about it. They are dead. They are worthless to the farmer. And so he uproots these worthless trees. You know, when we take this metaphor and we apply it to these false teachers, 
What Jude is saying is that these men are fruitless and barren in their so-called Christian life. They are fruitless and barren. Turn over to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7 verse 15. Matthew chapter 7 verse 15, it says, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. Now Matthew 7 here, we're told that we will know false teachers how? By their fruit. By the fruit that they... They produce or their lack of good fruit, as Jude is pointing out here. Their lack of fruit. You see, one of the evidences of true salvation is the production of spiritual fruit. It's one of the evidences that you and I are saved, that the Spirit produces fruit in our lives, that we bear fruit for Him. Turn over to Psalm 1. I know we know this passage well, but Psalm 1 describes the godly man. Psalm 1, verse 1, it says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Now, I know we know this passage well, but the point is it describes the godly man here. And it says that the godly man is like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit. Someone who is godly, someone who is living for the Lord, will bring forth fruit for him. That's the point. See, this is to be a characteristic of someone who is saved, a characteristic of someone who is a true believer. The fruit of the Spirit is produced in our lives. In Galatians chapter 5, it describes for us the fruit of the Spirit. Let's just turn there quickly. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. These are the fruits of the Spirit. These are the things that should be produced in our lives by the Holy Spirit living within. See, the point is that someone who doesn't have the Spirit can't possibly produce these fruits in their lives. They can't. Someone who's not saved, someone who doesn't have the Spirit within, like these apostates that Jude describes, they will be barren. You've got to remember, these men are claiming to be teachers of God's Word. They're claiming to be godly. They're standing before men saying, we know the truth. And Jude's saying, you'll know that they don't have the truth because they will be fruitless. They will be barren. Let's be clear, it doesn't mean that you and I are to be fruit inspectors. Okay, that's not what Jude's saying here. You know, we're not to go around and check out one another's fruit and say, oh, there's no fruit in your life, you must be an apostate. That is not what he's talking about here. Because it is fully possible for you and I to walk away from the Lord and still be saved, and so we're not producing fruit. Okay, it's entirely possible for someone to be saved and there be no fruit in their life because they're walking, not living for the Lord. And so we need to understand that. So he's not saying that we are to be fruit inspectors. The point that Jude is trying to make here is that these men are false teachers. Okay, These men are apostates, false teachers, 
who are standing up telling others we know the truth. They're putting themselves in the limelight. They're putting themselves on show. And Jude says, you will know that these men are false teachers because they will not produce the fruit of the Spirit. You see, it doesn't matter how much scripture they quote. It doesn't matter how much they walk the walk or talk the talk. These men will not produce the fruit of the Spirit because they don't have the Spirit living within. That's Jude's point here. You see, these men will lack this fruit in their lives. The end result of these apostates will be that God will pluck them up by the roots. Turn over to Matthew 15. Matthew 15, verse 13, it says, But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father hath not planted shall be rooted up. You see, God will uproot these plants, these men, these trees, these false teachers. In his timing, according to his will, God will deal with these apostates who have entered into the church. You know, for you and I, far from being dead trees, worthless trees under the Lord, we as believers are to be trees of righteousness, are we not? We are to be trees of righteousness, producing the fruit of the Spirit for him. Turn over to Jeremiah 17. Jeremiah 17 and verse 8. Verse 8, it says, For he shall be as a tree planted by the waters, and that spreadeth out her roots by the river, and shall not see when heat cometh. But her leaf shall be green, and shall not be careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. Now that's what we are to be like for Christ. We are to be like this tree that brings forth fruit in its season for him. Faithfully living for Him, faithfully producing for Him, living a, a life that honors Him. We have a tree that honors the Lord, not one of these worthless, dead autumn trees. Fourthly, here we see that He describes these men as raging waves of the sea. Turn back to Jude, verse 13. <clears throat> verse 13, it says, Raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame. Fourth metaphor that Jude uses here is that of the sea. And as he looks at these men, he says that these men are like the raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame. Now, when we think of the sea, you know, we sit there and we watch the sea, and it's great to watch the ocean, isn't it? To watch the waves rolling in, to see the power and the strength as the waves crash upon the shore and upon the rocks. It's grand. It's, it's awesome to behold. That's not what Jude's describing here. Okay, Jude is not describing these men as raging waves of the sea to describe their power or grandeur. That's not what he's talking about. Rather, Jude uses this imagery here of this tempestuous sea to express the restless and unrestrained nature of these men. You see, like the raging billows of the sea, these men are restless. These men are untamed in their passions and their desires. These men constantly dash themselves against the rocks in the sense of God's divine word of God, the word of God. They dash themselves against God's order, God's morality. They constantly try and push the boundaries of God's word, of what God says is right, what God says is holy, is just. You see, these men are noisy, they are bold in their professions, but they are ungovernable in their passions. 
You know, Jude tells us that the true character of these men is seen by what juice, what's left behind. You see, he says that they foam out their own shame. Now, basically what Jude is picturing here is the filth, the rubbish, the debris that's left behind after a storm. You know, when you walk along the beach after a storm, there's debris everywhere being washed up by the waves during the storm. There's, there's foam everywhere. And that's what he's describing here. He's saying that all that these apostates produce from their great swelling words, from their unrestrained life, is foam and debris. It's filth. You see, these men, by their unrestrained actions, expose their shame to everyone else. As it says here, they foam out their own shame. They expose what they're really like unto others by their actions, by their lives. And like the useless, unsightly litter that's left on the beach, so are the deeds of these men before others. They are a reproach unto the church of God. They are a reproach unto God himself and his holiness. Now these men perfectly fulfill Isaiah 57 verse 20. It's probably where Jude got the idea from. Turn over there, Isaiah 57. Verse 20, it says, But the wicked are like the troubled sea, which when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. Now this verse here is perfectly fulfilled. These wicked, ungodly apostates. They are like the restless sea. They cast up mire and dirt. They leave filth and wickedness in their wake. You know, once again, now as true believers, we are to be the very opposite of this, are we not? You know, if we know Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, then we are not to be raging waves of the sea, living a life without restraints. But rather, we are told to live morally upright lives before God and man. Turn to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. Verse 27 says, Only let your conversation or your conduct be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. That whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. It says that our conduct is to be as becometh the gospel of Christ. It is to reflect God's word. It is to honor him. In Philippians 4 verse 5, we read another verse. It says, let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Moderation there is talking about moderating our lives. Exercising moral restraints. You see, as believers, we are not to be raging waves of the sea. We are to exercise moral restraint in our lives. If you like, we are to be a calm sea. Calmly obeying God. Calmly staying within the restraints of God's holy word. Calmly staying within the moral restraints that God has set in place. Living morally upright lives before God and man. Fifthly and lastly here we see that these men are described as wandering stars. Verse 13 again. It says, Raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame, wandering stars, to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Now for this last metaphor, Jude looks to the heavens. And he describes these false teachers, these apostates, as wandering stars. Now, there are two interpretations given for these wandering stars. The first is that he is likening these men to the planets. Because okay? the planets 
wander. They don't stay still, okay? They move in their orbit. And indeed, the word wandering here in the Greek is the word from which we get planet. It literally is in the Greek planet, okay? We've transliterated from the Greek, taken this word and put it in the, in, in, into English to give us a name for the planets. These bodies in the heaven that rove, that move, that wander. That's the Greek word here. And that's the word we use for planet. So it's highly possible that's what he's thinking about here. And so what we understand here is that Jude is likening these men to the planets which move or rove across the sky. And he's saying that they're not fixed and so they're useless for navigation. That's his point here. He's saying the mariner on the sea, as he looks at the night sky and he's looking for a bearing, it's useless to follow the planets because they move. They're not stationary. The other interpretation is that he is describing comets here or shooting stars. You know, comets are shooting stars. They flash across the sky and then they just as quickly disappear into the darkness. You know, the point is still the same. They're useless for navigation. No point trying to follow a shooting star. No point following after them. And that really is Jude's point here. He's saying that they are wandering stars. They are useless for navigation for anybody else. You see, anyone who follows after these men is going to be led astray from the truth. These men are going to lead others away from the truth, not to the truth. Someone who follows these men will be lost. That's the point here. If following these men, they're not going to make their way to heaven because these men are not preaching the truth. They're not preaching the truth of God's word. See, they cannot be dependent upon these men, far from leading others to the truth, lead others into darkness. You know, once again, in contrast to these false teachers who are wandering stars, you and I as believers are to be shining lights under this dark world. You know, we are to be lights that faithfully lead others to Christ. We are to be points of navigation unto this lost and dying world. Philippians 2, just turn over there. Philippians 2, verse 15. <coughs> says that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Now, Philippians here, it tells us that we are to be lights, by which we lead others to Christ, holding forth the word of life. See, we are to be dependable light, lights, Dependable lights unto this lost and dying world by our lives, by our testimony, by our speech, so that others might be led to the truth and get saved. You see, we are to reflect the light of this world, are we not? The Lord Jesus Christ. As John 8 verse 12 tells us, Christ says, I am the light of the world. And we are to reflect that light. Just like the heavenly bodies reflect the light of the sun, we are to reflect the light of the Lord Jesus Christ unto the lost. You see, this is our responsibility as Christians. This is what we've been left here to do, to let our light shine before others, leading them to the truth. You know, Jude concludes verse 13 here by telling us what's in store for these apostates. He says, To whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. You see, this is the destiny that awaits these men. This is their eternal destiny. They will spend eternity separated from God in darkness. 
separated from the true light for all eternity. You know, if we had any doubt up to this point as to whether Jude is speaking about saved or unsaved men, this should settle it for us. Jude says categorically, these men reserved for them is the blackness of darkness forever. These men are not saved. They are unsaved men. These are states from the truth. They were never saved. They're not saved. These are unsaved men. And reserved for these men because of their rejection of the truth is darkness. Eternity in darkness separated from him. You know, by way of contrast, those of us who know Christ, you know, we will spend eternity in the light of his presence. Complete opposite. For those of us who know him, what awaits us is eternity in the light of his glorious presence. In Revelation 22 verse 5, it says that in heaven there is no night because he is the source of light. He is the source of light and he will rule and reign forever and we will be with him. In heaven for all eternity. Now, while the fate of the apostate is eternally in darkness, we who know the Lord Jesus Christ and look forward to dwelling with him for all eternity is light. But you know, until that day, we as a church, as individuals, need to take heed to the words of Jude. There's a reason why this book is in the Word of God. There's a reason why we spend so much time describing these apostates. Because they are a real problem. They are a real threat, even today. You know, yes, they're unsaved. They can still lead saved people away from the Lord, too. They can still lead us away. That's why Jude is writing these warnings here. Because if we're not careful, these apostates can infiltrate our church and lead us away from the truth. If we are not on our guard. And so we must be on our guard. We must be ever vigilant. We must watch lest we be deceived. You know, these men are hidden rocks, clouds without water, dead fruitless trees, raging waves and wandering stars. By God's grace, may our own lives be the opposite of these ungodly men. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we do thank you, Lord, for the book of Jude. And Lord, we thank you for these five metaphors this evening, Lord, to describe these apostates. And Lord, indeed, for each one we see that it is the, the opposite of what we as believers are to be. And Lord, I pray that you would help each of us, Lord, not only to be able to recognize apostates, but also in our own lives, Lord, to reflect you under this lost and dying world. May you bless as we close and bless the supper, we pray in Jesus' name. Let's turn to 300.